Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Once again, Christmas is upon us and we have something very special planned for you guys. On Christmas Day, the cult filmmaker Richard Stanley, the director behind The Colour Out of Space starring Nicolas Cage, will be narrating a H.P. Lovecraft story for us. So be sure to gather your family around the hearth or the tree or whatever you happen to have on fire at the time. Fill your boots with candy canes and eggnog and settle into this very special Christmas treat which will be landing in your podcast feeds on Christmas Day morning. Today's episode is Only a Moment, written by Lex Black and narrated by Justin Fife. Kenny did not bother to look up when the interrogation room door opened for the fourth time in an hour. Another cop come to bully him, another counselor hoping to lull him into confessing something with sweet talk, He stopped caring about either when it became clear none of them were interested in hearing his actual story, let alone believing it. Not that anyone should, he thought hopelessly. The chair across the table scraped over the concrete floor. Hello, Kenny, said the newcomer. May I call you Kenny? My name is George. Kenny let his eyes flick up from the tabletop without lifting his head, taking in the sight of the man. The tiny fellow had a ring of white hair around his otherwise bald head, wore wire-rimmed glasses, and an oddly old-fashioned suit nearly the same rich brown as his skin. "'You're not a cop,' Kenny said after a moment. "'You some kind of lawyer?' The old man smiled at Kenny in a way no one else had that day, warm and genuine, instead of condescending or cajoling. "'Not exactly, but... 
I am here to help. Kenny scoffed, his eyes again lowered. Yeah, that's what the cops that arrested me said. I imagine that's true, the man said as he laid a file folder on the table and opened it. Personally, I've always believed actions speak louder than words, so... He picked up some paperwork from a folder and read aloud. Kenneth Michael Brands, 16 years old, born locally, lived here since then. No arrests or encounters with law enforcement until early this morning. The man laid the paper aside and looked at Kenny, as though politely allowing for a response. When Kenny did not speak or look up after several moments, George plucked another page from the file. Please understand, he said in a gentle tone, I'm not here to accuse you or punish you for anything. I can only help if I understand what happened. He looked at the page in his hand. See, student, a long history of disruptive behavior during and between classes, altercations with other students, etc., Psychiatric evaluations suggest these issues stem from stigma regarding a particular notorious childhood incident. Oh God, here we go, Kenny thought. George laid the second paper over the first. What happened in the house, by the way, Kenny? He asked. Why does everyone keep asking that? Kenny blurted. In the back of his mind, he knew he spoke with more anger than the stranger had earned. Don't you have the damned arrest report? I do, the old man gazed at Kenny. But I'm not asking what the officers on the scene thought. I'm asking what happened. They caught me red-handed, okay? I was going to burn the place to the ground and... They caught me with a gas can in my hands because I'm a delinquent or just crazy... Everyone has their own theory. Kenny slumped back in his chair. And they're all way too happy to share it with me, loudly, often while laughing. A pained look crossed the old man's face. Even through his frustration, Kenny thought it more resembled sympathy than personal offense. When I asked what happened in that house, said the old man, I wasn't talking about this morning. Kenny stiffened. An old memory ran unbidden through his mind. Himself as a child huddled in a closet, hands over his head shivering in terror. Something wet and serpentine racing past the open door, dragging a shrieking adult down the hallway towards the pool. He forced himself to settle back in his chair. He crossed his arms and stared at the floor beside the table. Nothing, nothing happened, he said in a near whisper. George watched Kenny for a moment without speaking. He turned over the remaining pages of his file until he reached the last one, an old newspaper clipping. George held it up and read the headline out loud. Mass disappearance at manor party baffles investigators. Again, Kenny looked up. You still see it, don't you? George asked. I'm guessing you have nightmares to this day. Have you had a night's sleep since you can remember? The gentleness of George's tone amazed Kenny. Not in its degree, but that it happened at all. 
After so many years of accusation, probing questions he had no answers to, pointed fingers and whispered rumors, this complete stranger showed nothing but compassion, more decency than the people of Kenny's own town. It took my sister first, Kenny whispered, surprising himself. That single thought, the memory that had haunted him day and night since childhood, he had never spoken of to another soul. George laid the news clipping down, pushed the file aside, and waited. You know the weird thing? Kenny said, running one hand through his stringy hair. When had he let it get so long, he wondered. The part I remember the best is right before everything happened. He let out a deep sigh. Our parents made my sister take me to her friend's pool party, the party at the rich friend's house, and I was the little sibling running around a bunch of high schoolers. I remember my dad yelled at my sister for how small her bikini was. I was so little, I, I couldn't understand why a tiny swimsuit was a bad thing. Kenny shifted in his chair. George continued to sit quietly, his dark, intelligent eyes fixed on Kenny's. I remember... Kenny stopped and swallowed. I remember that moment so well. Me standing by the pool... My sister treading water in the middle. She was the only one swimming right then at a pool party. I always thought that was weird. I know. I remember her smiling, talking to me, but I've never been able to remember what she said. That's when Kenny trailed off, staring at nothing. George waited for several moments. He said, that's when... It started. Kenny, his eyes still unfocused and haunted, gave the slightest of nods. A bunch of bubbles rose up through the pool, he said. I looked down and saw a dark shape at the bottom. I pointed and said, look, Chris, there's a hole in the pool. The pool's broken. She laughed at me. Silly boy, we're on a rock shelf next to the bay. The pool can't break. And then her head went under the water. A couple of tears formed in Kenny's eyes and slid down his cheeks. He did not move. She went just straight down, he said. At the time, just for a second, I, I thought she was diving, but then she went right through the new crack in the bottom. It reminded me of what grown-ups tell you about the bathtub. No matter how scared you are, you can't go down the drain. But Christine did. The pool cracked and... Something moved in the water and my sister went down the drain. Kenny leaned forward onto the table, head in his hands. Why am I telling you this? He asked. I never told anyone this. Perhaps, George said, you've been waiting for a very long time for someone to talk to about what happened. Someone who won't judge you or condemn you, who won't look at you sideways on the street or start a fight with you on the playground. He laid a hand on the back of the news clipping. Someone who won't blame you for somehow being the only one to come out of that house and for being too young to explain what happened. Does that sound right? Kenny shrugged. I ran, he said. I know I ran. 
I don't know if I was screaming, but I guess I must have been. Who wouldn't? My sister just disappeared right in front of me, and that would scare the hell out of anyone, let alone a little kid. He pounded a fist on the table. That's what I remember, just running. I don't remember finding the closet or deciding to hide there. All I have after that is cringing on the floor and the screams. Hearing the screams. George looked at the files under his hand. Eighteen people, ranging in age from fourteen to thirty-nine, and not one of them managed to get away. He looked at Kenny. I can't imagine what that must have been like for you. I... (laughs) Kenny cried openly now. The unashamed weeping of one who has witnessed something truly horrible and never come to terms with it. They all acted like it was my fault. My parents, the neighbors, the police. Why were you in that closet? Where did everybody go? Where's your sister? You were in the house the whole time. You must know what happened. As though a terrified little boy hiding in a closet walked off with a busload of people somehow. He struck the table again. One blow followed by several more. George gathered the papers back into his file. You carried that all your life. The sole survivor, picked on, ostracized, working your way through life haunted by one event. He tucked the file under his arm. The event that has marked you so much, in some ways you have never moved past it. Many young men would want to grow out of being Kenny and become Ken, but not you. And many would not return to the empty house that still features in their nightmares, hoping that an act of arson might finally give them some peace. George stood and tucked his chair back under the table. Wait, Kenny said. Who the hell are you? How do you know so much about this? I'm someone who investigates places that have headlines like Mass Disappearance at Manor Party Baffles Investigators written about them, said George. I knew you likely wouldn't be able to tell me much more than I had already found out. But if nothing else, I hope this helps you finally put your fears to rest. Kenny looked the little old man up and down. Who are you? Are you with the police? A humorless smile formed on George's face. No, I'm not with the police. I work with cases. They and others can't usually handle. I can't promise that I can fix this, Kenny, but please promise me that after you handle your own troubles here, you won't go back to that house again? If there's anything left of it, I mean. What are you going to do? Kenny asked in a terrified whisper. George tucked the file under his arm. The kindness and compassion left his eyes, replaced by something hard and dangerous. Whatever it takes, he said. In the years since that dreadful event, I and the brave souls I work with haven't managed to learn much. We did learn that something was sleeping under that house. Something that came from under the waves and the rocks, and which apparently reached through the cracks in the strata under the pool, which you happened to be standing by in search of 
George caught himself. We have no idea if it's still alive, or even still there, but if it is, we'll do everything in our power to make sure no one ever shares your nightmares. He looked Kenny in the eye. Only one thing you've said puzzles me. I have nightmares about something that reached from under a swimming pool into a party I barely remember, and only one thing puzzles you? Kenny said, scoffing. You say it took your sister, George said, ignoring the remark. You had time to run to safety. Then, whatever it was acted so quickly that no one else in the party, all of them adults, was able to find shelter or flee. Why the lapse of only a moment? Kenny said something, so quietly this time that George could not make it out. Pardon me? he asked. I said, don't make me say it. Kenny begged under his breath. Very well. George turned and opened the door. Good luck with your problems here, Kenny, and the rest of your life. For what it's worth, I'm genuinely sorry that I can't do more for you. The door closed, leaving Kenny alone in the interrogation room. That's how long it took to decide it liked the taste, he said, and began to weep again. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Only a Moment was written by Alex Black, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Dark Fantasy Studio and Tom Robson. The episode illustrations provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Lex Black muses about horror and other things on Twitter, so be sure to follow her at at DeadSunSaga. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. You can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. T-shirts and mugs are available at gumroad.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you for Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time.